The following production was originally produced by Cath 910AM, the Guadalupe Radio Network. Well, welcome back, listeners. This is now no longer Dave Palmer, but rather Jonathan Sanford. I'm here with you to talk about the University of Dallas and uh, focus on virtue. And today we're going to be talking about literature. So this is the Good News Show at the University of Dallas. And I'd like to remind everyone of, of what we do at UD. University of Dallas is a Catholic university dedicated to the orientation of our students by means of truth, wisdom, and virtue. So we've been focusing on virtue. Hopefully we get some of the truth along the way and cultivate wisdom, which is, of course, a, a virtue itself. So, But we're, we're particularly focused on the cardinal virtues now. Um, not everyone knows that the University of Dallas is a Catholic university, and uh, we're the only Catholic university in North Texas. We draw students from the Dallas area, as well as Texas at large, as well as students from all 50 states. So we have um, a quite impressive national footprint, but we're primarily here to, to serve the Catholics of North Texas. So we use this show as an opportunity to invite our listeners into what we do at the University of Dallas. Before we begin in earnest, I, I wanted to take one moment to uh, let our listeners know that we're bringing a significant speaker to campus on March 23rd. His name is Dr. Anthony Esselin, and he is an expert in Dante studies, and he'll be speaking on our campus at 6 p.m. on March 23rd on Dante and liturgical time. And the next morning at 8 a.m., he'll be leading a discussion of uh, Catholic social teaching. He's an author of a book on uh, reviving Catholic social teaching. So our topic today is the virtue of prudence, and we have a very special guest, Dr. Bernadette Waterman Ward. Dr. Waterman Ward, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, Dr. Waterman Ward, you're a professor of English at the University of Dallas. I am. And when one hears about English, um, one can think of all kinds of things, like parsing sentences, like grammar, like literature. What, what's your area of expertise? Well, mainly poetry. Um, I'm, I'm in the 19th century, uh, 1815 to 1915 is my period. My favorite poet is Jared Manley Hopkins, but my the book that I've got sitting and waiting to be published at Notre Dame Press is actually on a novelist, George Eliot. I, so mm-hmm. I do both poetry and novels. Wonderful. I also know that that you're um, a student of uh, Blessed John Henry Cardinal Newman. Oh yes, I I I'm actually the secretary of the Newman Association of America, and I frequently write articles about Newman and. Uh, I've just gathered three of our grad students who are going to be uh, who've, who've submitted papers for a uh, uh, conference on Newman this summer. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. And then finally, you you have some expertise in Rene Girard. Oh yes, uh, Rene Girard was uh, was a friend of mine when I was uh, getting my PhD at Stanford, and has continued well continued to be a friend until he died in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked together on a number of uh, of presentations and and uh, the book that is coming out is in fact uh, closely connected to my friendship with him. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, uh, delightful, delightful man. Actually, uh, good, deep, deeply good. Mm-hmm. So, how does all of this fit together? You know, with your your expertise in literature, you you work mainly in poetry, um, but you've you've got a book on. Uh, a, a novelist, and um, you're, you're deeply informed by, by Catholic philosophy and theology, and and you know Gerard was such a um, 
diverse thinker drawing on on sociology as and literature himself so how how do how does all of that fit into what you do um, as a as a teacher at the University of Dallas well there is a uh, uh, at the beginning of medieval manuscripts there would be something called an incipit telling you what this thing is because you know, didn't have indexes and tables of contents and said, of what division of philosophy is this work? Mm-hmm. And if it were literature, it would say, of ethics, for it pertains to human action. Mm-hmm. Girard is interested in uh, how human beings interact in their fallen state. Um, but if you're thinking in terms of prudence, the questions broached in poetry mm-hmm. are questions of what's real, mm-hmm. how we can describe what's real in, in, in that which is, of course, primarily focused on the beautiful. Mm-hmm. But it's reality that's there. The first thing you need in prudence is an interaction with reality. Mm-hmm. And so there, uh, even in poetry, though Primarily, Girard worked in novels, which is why my book on novels is so connected with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the you have the question of human action mm-hmm. um, and love of truth. Mm-hmm. So you've you've studied at Harvard, you've studied yes. at Stanford, um, you teach at the University of Dallas. What what's different about the way that we approach literature at the University of Dallas? It's a little more like Harvard than it is like Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, Stanford people tend to be focused in a very practical sort of direction. Um, so there's the bellatristic just love of that which is beautiful and well-crafted and um, connects to, to real human passions and, and, and understandings. What's lovely about the University of Dallas is that, that this is done with a recognition of the spiritual aspect. Mm-hmm. So that you never lose track of that which is is truly our deepest longing. Mm-hmm. Again, if you're looking at prudence, infu- when grace infuses prudence, then you realize that what you really want is God. Mm-hmm. Finally, mm-hmm. Um, and and that changes the aspect of everything. So to know that. And to know such a range of literature that that understood and recognized that um, makes it a, a, a richer experience at the University of Dallas. Not that Harvard wasn't a very rich experience, and not that Stanford wasn't either. Mm-hmm. But it, it is different in that way. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So let, let's focus on, on prudence, you've brought it up twice. Thank you for that. You've, you're, you're not going to let us forget the the topic. That would and be imprudent. It would be indeed be imprudent. And just so our, our listeners know, the the way that I structured the the first seven shows, so we went through each of the cardinal virtues: prudence, justice, temperance, and courage or fortitude. And then we looked at the three theological virtues: faith, hope, and charity. And now we're going back through the cardinal virtues, but um, in that that grace-infused manner that Dr. Waterman Ward just mentioned, right? So we're we're looking at at the the cardinal virtues explicitly, 
um, informed by the eyes of faith. But um, it doesn't hurt to, to talk about prudence pure and simple before mm-hmm. we bring faith, hope, and, and charity into the discussion. So what what is what is prudence? How do, how do you understand this virtue? Well, the first thing about prudence is that you've got to see what's really there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about knowing how to get to the good. Um, it assumes that you that you have a desire for the good. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to see what's really there, and then what makes it a virtue is that you not only have to see it, but you have to act upon it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, what makes it prudence rather than, you know, you see... You see something true, you find a way to act upon it, and it's not good. That's not prudence. Um, so then there's a question of misdirecting. Mm-hmm. But uh, without prudence, you, for instance, might have a passion for justice, really want to do good for people. And like, um, well, a Dickens character, Miss, Mrs. Jellybee in, in, um, in Our Mutual Friend, you discover that your zeal for good things has led you to do terrible things for people because you just don't see what's really out there and you make assumptions. So prudence has mm-hmm. a lot to do with being able to make good judgments. Great. So it's 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 the... The, the virtue that enables us to make good judgments. And I'm going to make a couple of, of Aristotelian to mystically laced observations, right? So it's, um, insofar as it's, it's a uh, virtue that leads us to good judgments, it's a, a virtue of the mind, right? And Aristotle yes. makes a, a basic distinction between virtues of the mind as opposed to what might be translated as virtues of character. That doesn't mean that prudence is disconnected from our character. Of course, it's intimately connected. And this is a point that St. Thomas Aquinas is, is um, concerned to make in his Summa Theologiae, as well as his disputed questions on the cardinal virtues, that that it's it's a, a kind of dual or a bridge virtue. And it's, it's clearly um, housed, if you'll permit the, the image, within the mind, um, and yet it brings to perfection the, the many virtues of character, principally the, the cardinal virtues. And um, oftentimes we we think about prudence by way of contrast to something that can look a lot like it. Um, there's a, uh, a certain cleverness that people can have, right? So uh-huh. prudence thinks about means to an end, and cleverness um, is an exercise of, of lining up means to an end. And how, how do we how do we know that we're exercising prudence as opposed to cleverness? Well, the question is about the end, the real end, and the real end should be good. So if you're just exercising cunning, mm-hmm. um, you understand how to pick a pocket well. Mm-hmm. Well. Fagin wasn't really doing Oliver Twist very much good in teaching him how to pick pockets because picking pockets in England in the 19th century could get you hanged. So you have to not only have cleverness, but a desire for the real good. Um, and that's, that's something that most 
most villains in in a good novel mm-hmm. have this kind of low cunning and what you're supposed to recognize is that it isn't it isn't actually goodness to just know how to do things that's especially powerful in 19th century novels where where England was very very prosperous or America was very very prosperous and then people were thinking but what are we doing this for Mm-hmm. That's the essential thing. Oh, that's great. So, um, to, to turn that elegant response into a, um, uh, to ask for a, a prosaic explanation, um, how, how do we know that we're guided towards what in fact is good? How, how, how do we make that, that distinction between a merely apparent good and what is in fact Good. The first thing about it is humility. So take take young Huck Finn. Mm-hmm. Okay, he pretty much knows he doesn't know anything, and he he'll tell you that very frequently. But because he's nobody and he doesn't have a status to defend, he can look and see, in terms of its results on human on the human heart that slavery is bad and that he should rebel against his whole society. Not that he, he, he he's convinced he's going to hell for this, mm-hmm. but he just has got to get, he's got to get Jim free. Mm-hmm. There you have, first of all, humility. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, don't just go by some exalted theory without seeing the world around you. Mm-hmm. The most fun example of that is Don Quixote, mm-hmm. um, who spends, oh, 800 pages doing really ridiculous things because he won't pay attention to the world around him. He's got a really good theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to take just one second to remind our listeners what we're doing here in case you, you've uh, just entered your car or, or and turned on the radio or, or switched the station. This is the Good News Show um, at uh, University of Dallas. So we're, we're focusing on the cardinal virtues and prudence in particular. We're connecting that to a reflection on literature. And my guest today is Dr. Bernadette Waterman Ward, a Hopkins scholar and many other things besides. So let's, let's think about the role of the reader of, of literature. Um, we, we can turn to li- literature to learn a great many things um, about prudence, right? Does does it matter whether or not a reader of literature is prudent or not? Um, what 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 difference does that make? It certainly does matter, um, because for one thing, you can choose things that that don't really have uh, a strong moral basis. You. There have been various sorts of, of movements in literature that, that pull you one away from, from the primary ethical structures of literature. Um, there was an art for art's sake movement that became fascinated with evil, uh, for instance. And what you want to do is, is approach works that have, uh, a direction to them connected to uh, a real faith in the good. So that 
there's there's a first start and and they can be they can be they don't have to be christian literature mm-hmm. um the great greek tragedies mm-hmm. are are very important um in this sort of thing so there's there's that and also a reader of literature should be teachable mm-hmm. um one of the important aspects of of uh of prudence is understanding where you don't know so that you're willing to take advice in perplexity. You know, Faust wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Various people tell Dr. Faustus, don't sell your soul to the devil, repent. And you watch him through act after act after act, not taking advice, and mm-hmm. then it's too late. Yeah, Aquinas, Aquinas uh, writes in several places, prudence takes counsel. And you also reminded me of, of his discussion of a, a particular virtue, um, that, a, a virtue that's particularly significant for the kind of education that we provide, the virtue of docility, which is a, a part of the virtue of prudence. And docility is, is that virtue by means of which we, uh, we, um, exhibit a kind of educability, um, a willingness to learn and attentiveness to our professors, but also to a tradition. And when when you're talking about how to distinguish between works that really ought to command our attention versus works that that perhaps or perhaps not need command our attention, it seems as though the the tradition that one subscribes to plays a, a particularly significant role in that kind of discriminative act. Is that is that something you would agree with? Absolutely. Um, it you know I could sit down. And as, as I was preparing to talk about prudence, I immediately went first to the things that are in our core curriculum because wisdom has come through these channels, pagan and Christian, um, philosophical and, and theological as well as, as literary, of course, but I did tend somewhat to the literary. I sure. can't imagine why. <laughs> um, still, you see, so you watch things that have been here for, you know, 2,000 years and more. For instance, that aspect of, of prudence, mm-hmm. which is keeping hold of what you know to be true and not revising it for convenience or for fashion or for something else. Look at the mother of Oedipus, mm-hmm. Yocasta and Oedipus the king. She revises her story of what happened before and then discovers to her horror mm-hmm. what she has done. Um, the idea of of being willing to take advice, you see Hamlet, mm-hmm. who really somehow believes that if something comes at him and announces itself from purgatory, but only criticizes people and asks him not to correct his mother from sin, he might want to listen to his friends who say don't trust it. And instead, eight people end up dead. Um, you have lots and lots of examples of these things in our core curriculum, in the tradition, that then allow you to 
recognize, as it were, the accent mm-hmm. of someone who's paying attention to reality mm-hmm. in in a piece of literature. Of course, G.K. Chesterton is a good guide too for that sort of thing. Right, indeed. So um, a few minutes ago, you were you were talking about the uh, attentiveness to the ethical structure of certain works of literature. And um, I'd like to explore a little bit more what you see the end of reading literature to be. You know, what, what's the purpose of reading literature, or purposes, depending on, on how you want to go with that? It's an encounter with truth in an imaginative way. Uh, actually, most of the way we encounter the world, you know, I'm, I'm looking at you now. And, and I, I can imagine what the back of your head looks like, but I really don't know it mm-hmm. at uh, we, we live in a world where we see only a certain proportion and then we infer the rest. Mm-hmm. Literature trains you in the art of inference, especially in terms of that invisible part of influence, inference, which is what human beings are thinking, what human beings are feeling, what it's like to be someone else, mm-hmm. which trains us in empathy, trains us in the ability to understand what justice would be to a person who's very different from me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you, you can't, you can't water an oak tree and a, well, a banana tree and, and a cactus the same amount and come up with the same result. Right. Same thing for human beings. Different things are necessary for different people. And so to be able to understand, to get training in, in how to connect to people that way, that's, Primarily what uh, what fiction is about. Mm-hmm. Poetry connects you to other aspects of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a, um, a fascinating response and one that I, I find I agree with. So um, sometimes we, we, we can reduce what you've just described to a kind of, of uh, utilitarian um, response. That is to say... We read literature in order to see the world aright, um, and we turn it into a, a kind of means towards an end. But in, in what way is, is literature an end unto itself? Well, of course, there's beauty. Yes. Um, that I, of course, at first think of in, in lyric poetry, beauty's self and beauty's giver, as Hopkins puts it. Um, you enjoy... How seeing that that people are able to speak about something, show you things in ways that make the world make sense mm-hmm. and make you appreciate um, just the joy of seeing the sense in the world. Aristotle was was uh, was very interested in in people being able to identify you know that sort of thing when you see a picture of it or when you when you see a, a something like that in a piece of literature. Mm-hmm. Um, we like looking at things and understanding them. So there's the understanding and the joy in how orderly and how lovely it is. And for some pieces of literature, it's just the loveliness of the sound. Oh, mm-hmm. Hopkins. But anyway. Great. So if you could believe it, we only have one minute left. And I am wondering if you have any suggestions for our listeners of, of works that they might uh, pick up and, and read in order to delve more deeply into some of the things you talked about today. Well, a question about about uh, prudence. Oh, Cervantes Don Quixote has the is is God's own plenty for for 
everything that you'd want to to see there. Um, something more modern, you might look at Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game, mm-hmm. where you see um, people misusing, cunning, in the case of someone who has empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, older things, Faust, Hamlet, Macbeth. Uh, well, I'm back in the core. Wonderful. For more productions like this, you can visit us on SoundCloud or iTunes by searching University of Dallas. Thank you for joining us.